what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. That's much better. And welcome once again to the Before and After Show. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. I am your other co-host, Ryan Buell. And we are joined this week by a guest who is actually a regular. Uh, if you watch any of our content over on YouTube, we're joined on the podcast this week by Mike Moray. Hey, what's up? How's it going? I'm doing good. How about you? Good, good. Uh, and the reason we're all here is to talk about John Wick Chapter 2, uh, which... I'm so excited about <laughs> Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, have you guys been watching anything in the last few weeks that you would like to talk about? I'm going to let this fine gentleman go first. Thank you, sir. I saw Jack Reacher a couple days ago. Oh, oh I'm so yeah. sorry. Yay. I kind of was okay with it. Oh. Really? Yeah. You guys... Did you like the first one? Yeah, I, thought I was kind of okay with it. Okay. <laughs> oh, can I leave now? <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, I thought they were both okay. Um, I... I dug it. It's a solid Tom Cruise movie, in my opinion. Living in the right home about. It's, it's a little lazy in some parts. Yeah. A lot of parts. Um, but I don't know. I kind of dug it, guys. Oh, guys? <laughs> no love for that movie around no. these parts. No. I, wanted, I wanted to love that movie. I did, too. But... I did, too. It looked so much better than the first one, and it was so I just, not. <laughs> I just didn't expect it to be an A&E, you know... Father, daughter, bro <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I'm not even going to argue about that one. <laughs> I just wanted him to punch more things. That's all I want. Yeah, there, there was a severe <laughs> lack of punching about midway through. Yeah. And, um, about 50 more people needed to be punched. Man. Or shot. Especially, like, they built their whole marketing campaign around punching. Yeah. They released a mobile game that was all about how much Jack Reacher punches things. Yeah. And, nope. Didn't do that much punching. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of dug, actually, the story that was going on between Tom Cruise and the other chick, the major, and the girl. Like, it it was cliche. Like, mm -hmm. the whole movie was cliche. I think it did it just effectively enough for me to be all right with it and feel yeah. like I hadn't completely mm -hmm. wasted my two hours. Um, I think if maybe I saw it in a theater, I would have felt a little bit differently. But I'm just sitting on the couch, and I'm like kind of half paying attention yeah it's a little bit more bearable that way that makes sense i feel like yeah. those movies are really good tnt movies yes yeah. like the i feel like commercials maybe make that movie better yes <laughs> i could see that yeah like i'm gonna go make myself a sandwich and i probably won't have missed anything anyway. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. uh ryan what about you the last movie i can recall watching was the three musketeers which one with milia jovovich what? Uh, the one with the Punisher in it? Uh, yes. Yeah, like the dude the that played the... second Punisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. From War Journal. Warzone. Wars, was it Warzone? Warzone, yeah. Warzone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, saw that, and that was ridiculously fun. Okay. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. <laughs> but I, it was a fun, like, I watched it with my wife, and we just sat there and just ripped it the whole time. Is that the one that, that has, like, an airship in it? Yeah, like Orlando Bloom. What is in it? And, what? And uh, he's hamming it up. I did not he know He plays that. the villain, 
and it's 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 terrible. Is that the fun. dude who makes the Resident Evil yeah. movie? Okay, yeah, that's why, that's why she was in it. it. She had a, a huge, ridiculous part, and mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was bad. But if you want to have fun, I would watch it. All right. <laughs> We watched the first two episodes of The People Be O.J. Simpson, the oh, yeah. American Crime Story. Mm-hmm. Man, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what frame of reference you guys have for the O.J. trial, but I remember my parents were like pretty into it. Yeah, same with mine. Um, and so I remember. I, I cannot. I do not recall these events. I remember them pretty clearly. It's one of my earlier memories. Actually, is I rem- yeah. I remember the Bronco chase, and I remember. I don't remember specific days of the trial, but I remember hearing it in the background of my life. Yes. And then I remember watching the verdict come through. Mm-hmm. I have a, I, I have a very clear memory of the night the verdict came through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where we were, I was like just young enough to not get it. You know, yeah. like if it would have happened two years later, I probably would have followed it with my parents. Right. But I was just young enough to kind of know about it. And it's mm-hmm. kind of the first major news thing that I remember. Yeah. Um, there's like, it's like the Clinton election, the 92 election. Yeah. Those summer games that were in Atlanta because there was yeah. the bombing. Mm, I remember that very clearly. Yeah. I remember the night the bombing happened and then the OJ thing. Mm-hmm. Like those are the first three news items that like shaped me as a child. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, uh, I remember all that and TV is getting to a point now where we're the people making this stuff. So it's all this like nineties nostalgia stuff, which is why they made this, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And man, it's good. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays OJ and that dude shows off why he has an Oscar and you like, I just kind of got mad at him, like at Cuba Gooding Jr., not OJ. Uh, I mean, I'm mad at OJ, but I got kind of mad at Cuba Gooding Jr. because it's just like, why? Like, you're clearly way more talented than you than the things you choose Snow to be. Snow Dogs in. is a classic. <laughs> mm. Preach it. Is, is it? <laughs> is it though? And then they, I think they did a really good job of like building out the world, which I know sounds weird because it's like a historical show, right. but of just like framing the context of like the nineties, the nineties, and like it's L.A. Mm. Famous people constantly get off for murders. Uh, what's her name? Marsha Clark. It really wants to hammer O.J. on this. They're hot on the heels of the Rodney King thing. Um, you know the the riots that happened what two three years earlier. So that was it was not that long ago that that right. had happened. Um, and so the, it was kind of like the LA justice department kind of like really needed a win. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think you get like a really good picture of where they were coming from and which I feel like you don't get a lot of the time. And then it seems like certain things like OJ's initial questioning, they took just verbatim out of the evidence, like out of out of the court reports or whatever. Yeah. And so it's like it's really well researched, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they use like some archival footage because the day the Bronco chase happened, there were all kinds of important sporting events happening. And so they use clips, like actual clips from that day of the sportscasters being like, hey, this super famous athlete is wanted for murder. And he's like, maybe got a gun to the back, to his head in the backseat of this Bronco that's like getting chased down the freeway. And they've closed the 405 in L.A. Like, what is happening? And, uh, you know, we still have to show the NBA finals, but <laughs> clearly you don't want to watch that. Yeah. Um, and it takes you like into the 
into the control rooms of the TV stations. Like, do we go to the Bronco chase or do we leave on the finals? Like, um, so it's just like really expansive Mm -hmm. and it's, it's like really well put together, which is cool because I don't like Ryan Murphy. (laughs) um as as a showrunner i don't like american horror story at all uh but he like he directed the crap out of these first two episodes and there's some like there's some really good visual storytelling and camera work uh it's a little sorkin-y a lot of walk and talk Mm. um but the dialogue doesn't feel as phony as the sorkin script okay so it it works it's okay i'm a lawyer we walk and talk (laughs) Do you? All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, yeah. People vs. OJ, it's on Netflix. Uh, you should check it out. I don't know how many episodes it is. It might be eight or ten. I think it's like eight. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and go to myself and Corey Tindall talking about uh, the jazz singer. And go do that now. Yeah. Hi, Corey. It's time for the before and after show film school because it's a before episode. Yay! That means the voice that you heard uh, exclaim in celebration is Corey Tindall. Hello, oh, Internet World. How's it going, Corey? Good. Uh, we had a very lengthy off mic discussion, like pregame before this, so yeah, I'm feeling I good. Hit record two hours and twenty nine minutes into our Skype call. Yeah, so we are we are ready. Need to go. Yeah. Um, so this week we're talking about the jazz singer uh, after the jazz singer. Mm-hmm. And the jazz singer is the first, uh, quote, talkie, the first full length talkie. There were shorts that had uh, talking in them before. And uh, it's not a full dialogue picture. The first full dialogue picture came along in 1928, a year after the um, the jazz singer came out and that was called lights of new york which we were going to do next but is completely unavailable uh on any format oh yep yeah it's uh it's not public domain it's not uh it's just completely unavailable there's a print in existence for i think in the national library of congress but it just has not been um properly restored or transferred to any sort of digital medium yet so Yeah. Um, So if you did watch it, I'm sure the first thing that you noticed is that, hey, where's all the talking? And that's because it wasn't the first full talking movie. It was just the first one with sound on film technology. And to recap, sound on film technology was this technology developed by Western Electric and Vitaphone, um, where basically they would record this live sound and through a series of apparatus, I would convert the sound waves. This is going to sound like magic, but I promise this is what <laughs> happens. They would convert the sound waves into photons. So they would convert it into light and hit it on the celluloid that was running through the camera. And it would be an extra strip of film running alongside the camera. Uh, and that's how we got sound on film. I don't know how, what the science is behind that. Like, that's awesome. You, you legit could say magic and I would believe you at that <laughs> point. 
that's such a crazy like how did people figure that out uh it's it, i mean science is cool like we could i could unpack some of that for you but yeah. like man it's you know it's like how sound waves travel and it, it yeah it's just it's fantastic like it's amazing that somebody was able to to think of that like hey we can get talking into movies by doing xyz yep so. Yeah, and then just being able to refine it from there, you know, and the technology has evolved and evolved and evolved. Yeah. Um, so The Jazz Singer is an important film in uh, all of cinema history because it was the first full-length film to use this technology. And we talked about uh, Alan Crossard, who uh, directed that, as well as the first sound-on-disc picture, Don, John, the, or Don Juan, the year before, starring John Barrymore. Um, this one is uh it stars al jolson who was known at a certain period of time to be the greatest entertainer in the world yes and was an influence on many many people and it's about a uh a jewish man who left home at the age of 13 because he was a gifted and talented singer and his father who was the uh cantor of their temple Mm -hmm. um thought he was misusing his gifts um, he, th- he would, he would sneak off and go sing, uh, as the movie puts it, raggy time music down yes. at the local bar. Um, and being very Orthodox Jewish people, his father didn't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he, they were at odds with each other. And uh, so he leaves home at the age of 13, travels the world, becomes a, uh, renowned jazz singer and is offered a gig on Broadway in his hometown of New York City. And this was at a period of time where it was hard to travel. Flight didn't exist. Um, so everything across the sea was by boat and everything on land was by train. And so he hadn't been home in years. There's an unspecified amount of time. And he comes home and sees his family and visits his mom for the first time since he left home. And his dad still is angry at him. And he... Uh, his father becomes sick after seeing him and he basically ends up in a position where he has to either miss his show or go sing in place of his father at the temple he grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of the crux of the movie. Um, And I think that'll do it for plot summary. What, uh, what did you think about the jazz singer, Corey? I, uh, You know, setting setting aside some of the uh, the slight racist elements, that I'm sure we'll talk about yes. um, the story. I I enjoyed it because it was kind of like that story, like this this heartwarming story of somebody who's like not accepted by like you know their family or their friends, and they kind of like pursue their dreams and you know kind of like make it so to speak. But you know, in the midst of that, there's kind of like they they find out what's like most important but then you also kind of get like you know their their family members kind of seeing like why is this so important to you and how that sh- like shifts their perspective about like how should we how should we view this thing that you're very passionate about and that's just a story that <clears throat> i know for me is like kind of like personal in a weird way not like i'm not like i'm a jewish immigrant who <laughs> goes and moonlights as a jazz singer but um somebody who has sometimes certain interests that like a lot of the 
general public or people like even some of my friends like are not always like like why are you so into that like video games for instance um you know and having and just kind of seeing like how you know people's perspectives can shift and so that whole story and so i enjoyed i enjoyed the central story of the jazz singer what about you mj yeah um Man, I have a very complicated relationship with this movie. <laughs> I really liked it as a tech demonstration. So yeah, I really liked that it starts very traditionally um, as a silent film. Mm-hmm. And yes, you hear the score, and the score is married to the print of the film. But uh, as someone who's used to watching silent films with a score attached to them already. It's not that impressive. Yeah. And then the very first instance of a human voice in the film is a kind of an overdub. It's basically the kid version of the, the main character singing a ragtime song. Um, but you can tell he's lip syncing. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. bad. Uh, which is yeah. fine. Go yeah. Ahead. No, but yeah, it's like the first impression, I was like a little bit like underwhelmed. Like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, and, but you can tell that that wasn't recorded live. Yeah. And then it builds into the cantor, uh, his father singing uh, a song at Temple for one of their high holy days. And,. Uh, you hear many voices singing. There's still the lip syncing, but now it's many voices in sync with this track. And that's kind of impressive. And then, um, you fast forward years to when he's an adult and he's across the pond singing in a, a pub. And, you hear sound effects of the people in the, you know, almost room chatter and clapping and stomping and stuff. And like, yeah, that's the first, that's the first instance of sound effects in mm-hmm. a feature length picture. And then Al Jolson as an adult takes the stage and sings a song mm-hmm. and uh, speaks some words during the song. And you can tell that they recorded that sound live on the set uh, yep. that day. And I loved all, all of that. I loved how it built hmm. to kind of signify the the evolution of this technology and the um, where it started, where it kind of was, how it kind of refined and evolved itself into finally this brand new endeavor into filmmaking. Um, yeah, that all those moments are like pretty powerful, especially when you get to hmm. him singing. Hmm. For the first time, like, yeah, it was it was almost overwhelming to be perfectly honest. Uh, just kind of trying to reseat yourself into a, you know, a theater ninety years ago, eighty years ago, mm-hmm. um, and think about that, you know, and think about yeah. being there and hearing that for the first time. It was like, whoa, this would have blown people away. Yeah, um, I know to see like the wow, his voice is like in sync with the music like you know and like to see it on film because like you said like the build-up to that is kind of like oh okay like he's kind of singing but it's not like matching up exactly and then like the choir you know in temple it's it's a little bit more impressive but then to see like 
the actual like technical demonstration of like okay there's one guy the audio is like matched up to him he's singing like he speaks some words it's like that was really like exciting for me to watch that i was like wow yeah yeah it was it's like a really powerful moment in cinema man like it's just this it's earth shattering Mm -hmm. um and i really liked the way thematically the movie kind of delivered on those things with you know the jewish father being kind of the old guard and almost you know the old idea of the studio system and the al jolson character kind of leaping feet first into the future and um what this new technology could bring um there's this almost meta narrative over the whole the whole film that is really about what was going on with the advent of this technology and I liked mm. all that a lot. I loved all that. Yeah. The movie itself didn't really do much for me. Um, it was okay. I don't know. All the stuff with his family was very manipulative to me. Um, you know, it was a lot of guilting him into going back. Yeah, there was a stuff, lot of that. And that sat really weird with me. Um not for any real personal reason um just because yeah. like that's a crappy way to behave to people um especially yeah, your own like, family yeah guilt trip them <laughs> yeah and like the climax of the movie is basically them winning the guilt trip so he has to go sing at temple and cancel this performance of a broadway show that has a bunch of moving parts and uh specifically reached out to him to come and perform in it and yeah. so all that stuff was really weird um and yeah like, not only were they guilt tripping him but they were using god to guilt trip him and that yeah that was even worse of like you know your voice doesn't have god in it if you're not doing this and it was like whoa yeah it's like whoa so all that stuff was like uh, it sat really weird with me um but as far as the technical achievement go it's amazing um yeah, yeah you know the scene where he's playing songs to his mom and singing that's also kind of astonishing um, yeah that's really cool i was like wow they, they were able to do that back then yeah yeah it's 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 a it's absolutely worth watching just for that um and then <laughs> there's also some light racism in the movie yes uh, the Broadway show that he performs in is very uh, vaudeville-inspired, um, which means it takes a lot of cues from minstrel shows. Yes. Which means Al Jolson performs in blackface in the film uh, twice. Yes. And he, you know, and I think thematically it presents a really good mm -hmm. idea of, like, wanting to be true to your culture. This is actually something we talked about off mic. Uh, yeah. Wanting to be true to your god but, and your heritage, but also trying to like achieve your dreams and goals like there's you know there's a really fine line there of of you know if you're someone uh, a person of faith and and you're trying to to behave in you know a way that is honoring to that higher power as well as you know trying to figure out what you want to do with your life um, yeah and deciding on whether or not those are in sync um and so i think thematically there's like some really good meat there the problem is the climax of him trying really struggling with that conflict happens with him in blackface and it completely sucks the air out of watching this Jewish man struggle with his cultural heritage. Yeah. Yeah. 
but <laughs> compared to the last film we watched for this show, yes, the racism is almost a footnote. It's honestly not as yeah. bad as I thought it was going to be. And I know that's like horrible of us to say because yeah. racism is racism. But yeah, compared to Birth of a Nation, this is like I don't know, like a drop in the bucket. It's like yeah. okay. That was the thing they did back then. Minstrel shows and vaudeville and blackface. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a slap on the wrist, but it's nowhere near as close as Birth of a Nation when it's like the KKK are the and, good guys. Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, you mentioned I didn't pick up on this, but one of the songs he sings has the N word in it. Yes. Um, it, yeah, it does. And the so. final song of the film is. Him in blackface singing about his mammy. Um, yeah. Which is, that might be the most racist thing in the movie. But I, I, I would say 90% of it, that really doesn't come into play. And even when it is there, it's not really made mention of. His family sees him in the blackface. And uh, they're confused by it. Um, because they don't they don't really know what's going on. Because they're an Orthodox Jewish family. Yeah, so... <laughs> I... I looked at Kristen and I said, oh, no, one of these intertitles is definitely going to say the N-word, isn't it? And the the worst it got is they say it doesn't look like him. It looks like his shadow. Yeah. Uh, and I was yeah. like, that's pretty bad, but that's not as bad as it could have been. Yep. 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 No, like, Negro or, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I thought for sure that was going to happen. Like, I thought for sure they were going to be like, he looks like a, and I was like, oh, man. Yeah, and it didn't happen, and I was fine with it. So, yeah, as do you recommend people see the movie, Corey? Um, like, you know, I I said I enjoyed like some of the the whole thematic element of like somebody kind of like finding like something they're passionate about, and like some people's views kind of changing on it because his family, their views do change. There is like a lot of guilt tripping in there, um, uh, like. You know, me mechanically as a story, like, it's okay. You know, like, it's kind of this middle of the road. But if you're somebody who's, like, very much into film history and, like, the evolution of just, you know, how film has grown to where it is today, I would definitely say, like, you need to see this film. If yeah. you're somebody who does anything with, like, audio or music or any anything like that um to any capacity like recording or anything like you should definitely watch this film because it's just you know it's the genesis of like what we have today mm -hmm. in filmmaking um and yeah like that that part was the most exciting part to me like like i said the story was kind of middle of the road whatever but seeing him like singing and then like even the scene when he's like singing and playing the piano and like just what they were able to accomplish like with that technology and like you know like by today's standards it's like it's not like the best like pristine quality but it sounds like pretty good yeah <laughs> like yeah it and sounded I was, I, much better than i thought it was going to yeah me too and so i was very surprised and and you know like when it's like piano and his voice and i was like wow yeah. so in those respects, like film history or any background in audio recording or any interest, like definitely I think you should check out uh, this movie. It's like we talk about like if you're a cinephile or like a movie buff at all, it's like I think it's important to see like where we started from mm -hmm. 
and like how that affects like where we are today. So yeah, and like I said, I'm in a weird spot with this movie. I liked I liked all the like the I loved all the technical aspects and stuff like that. But I honestly, and this is gonna make me sound terrible, but like <laughs> Birth of the Nation is the better movie. Yeah, it's, it is. It's more compelling to watch even, you know, it's it's and not just because of the racist stuff like <laughs> that certainly is a reason to keep watching or turn it off, I guess. But, you know, the, the, the astonishing racism of Birth of a Nation is definitely like it's a point of outrage that kept me watching. But yeah, it's still a three hour silent movie that didn't feel like it and like kept my interest and made me want to see where the story goes, even though it yeah. was kind of a horrible story. Um, yeah. And like, the first half of Birth of a Nation is honestly pretty entertaining Civil War movie. Um, yeah, The first it half is. of Birth of a Nation is also the less racist of the two. Um, yes. You know, but the like all the Civil War stuff is astounding in that movie, like the battle sequences and stuff. Yeah, and, they're really good. Yeah, and like the action sequences for all intents and purposes are really well constructed and the you know, the story is really well constructed despite the, you know, deplorable nature of the uh the the story the content of the story um and so it's it's weird like you know saying you kind of liked birth of the nation better yeah quote unquote than the jazz singer but like i honestly kind of did it's a better yeah. movie yeah it's it's the truth the narrative is more compelling mm-hmm. in birth of a nation like it's just the truth the way like the narrative is constructed and like how even though the movie is espousing all these things that we know are wrong, um, but the things that it does to kind of, like, get you to care about the characters and, like, you know, how that affects the plot, like, that's better done than the jazz singer. It's just, like, I don't know. It's just, it's the truth. It's not like the jazz singer is a bad movie, but it's just kind of, besides the technical aspect of adapting sound to film you know like spoken dialogue and singing and stuff it's like the jazz singer is just kind of like okay and like the swath of silent movies that we've watched for this segment of the podcast it's i feel like one of the lesser ones for me yeah yeah it's maybe just above little annie rooney yeah that's the that's those two are sitting at the bottom. Yeah. So, um, although I wonder if with a proper soundtrack, little Annie Rooney is a little bit better. Um, it did meander a lot. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I think it's also, there is something to be said about, uh, these two very important pieces of cinema history also have some very, very, very negative cultural implications. And they got us where we are today, and we have built our industry on the shoulders of these things. Um, doesn't look great uh, as, a, <laughs> as a cultural move. Uh, uh. I get it, I guess. You know, the like we said, the narrative of Birth of a Nation is very compellingly structured, and the visual storytelling is very well done. Yeah. And even the way he tints the color between those those you know, the scenes with the KKK and the scenes in the North and the scenes in the South, like that's really solid visual storytelling. And the scenes in the White yeah. House, that's all like incredible visual storytelling, actually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the jazz singer seeing how it kind of builds on that and they could do audio, but they still have to tell us a lot of these character details and via intertitles. Um, 
it, it exists at this really interesting nexus but then hearing that like hearing the first instance in a feature-length film of someone speaking and yeah. singing is like it's 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 honestly amazing um and the purity of that is great because he's not in blackface um yes yeah know, that, the blackface doesn't happen until the last third of the movie so like I'm really glad that that that, yeah. that wasn't there to you know um, tarnish that moment, uh, and yeah. So with you know decrying the racist tendencies, <laughs> the 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 overt racism of Birth of a Nation, and the more subtle quote unquote or or less less dangerous but still pretty dangerous uh racism of the jazz singer i think these are two very important films in the whole of 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 cinema history that really demand your attention if you're a cinephile um and someone who likes film history yeah i totally agree um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that we have to consider, uh, culturally when taking these things in and it's important to, but it's also you to, uh, the booklet for jazz, the jazz singer, um, in the, in the Blu-ray I have comes with some of the, the materials that they would, the programs they would hand out. Um, when you went to go see it in 1927, there's a full reproduction of the program that, that audience members received. Wow. And there's a lot of the pictures of blackface and like it says the N-word a couple times. And there's a thing in the in the front in the booklet that says like, you know, these this material is presented as it was released in 1927. Um, those views were wrong then and they're wrong today. Yeah. Uh, but we present them here because they're important to history uh, on a technical level, but also uh to ignore those prejudices is also bad uh yeah you know you don't learn from that by just omit omitting it yep um, that's true yeah so uh yeah but yeah i i mean I, I i say see it uh it's it's worth watching and like that that first moment when he starts singing is like honestly incredible and like the songs yeah. are pretty good yeah they're like good I... time songs yeah yeah I didn't know any of them. I was, was like, maybe I'll know some of them, but yeah. I did not. Yeah, so. um, he's got a really strong voice, really, really powerful. Yeah, yeah, he's a good singer. Yeah, um, but yeah, that'll do it, I think, for uh, this episode of uh, this installment of the Before and After Show Film School. Um, Corey, do you know what we're talking about next? Uh, I no, I really don't. Like, I could venture a guess, like maybe uh, some aspects of cinematography, but. Okay. That could change, but we'll see. It'll be a surprise. All right. So stay tuned and uh, take it away, me and Mike and Ryan, to talk about John Wick, Chapter 2. Pew, pew, gun noises and stuff. Um, Yep, we'll be right back. you guys enjoyed that episode of the before and after show film school it was uh certainly interesting hearing the first recorded sound in uh cinema history and yeah uh we're gonna switch gears completely now and uh, the reason we're here and the reason the intro was a little short uh, is because i think the three of us are chomping at the bit to talk about this business (laughs) which is 
John Wick is back. Uh, John Wick Chapter 2 is what we're talking about this week. We're talking about our expectations for it. But it's a part two, so um, I think we're all fans of John Wick 1, right? A little bit. Little yeah. Bit. yeah. So John Wick is the story of this ex-hitman whose wife dies of cancer and uh, she knew she was dying and arranged for a puppy to be sent to him. And uh, these guys break into his apartment and kill his puppy and steal his car, which are kind of the only two things he really feels like he has left to live for. And it turns out that the guys who break into his house are the su- is the son and his friends of this like super powerful Russian, yeah, yes, Russian, Russian mob. mob boss. And John Wick gets pissed and goes and kills. All of the people. <laughs> and that's about it. That's yeah. all John Wick Part 1 is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of some, you know, that takes place in this seedy underworld of assassins. And there's this hotel where they all stay at. And there's, like, rules about not attacking each other in the hotel. Um, and stuff like that. And that's, you know, kind of comic booky. But we'll get into that. We'll unpack that more as we're talking about it. But, um, like, Mike, what did you think of the first... John Wick. So good! <laughs> so good! Oh! I, or should I say, oh. Or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a great scene in that movie that sums up the whole thing where they, the Russian mob boss guy goes and finds out who like they went and killed his dog. And then yeah. he finds out the name, John Wick, and he's just like, oh. And he just closes the phone. Yeah. And it's like the greatest scene of anything It's so ever. good, man. Yeah. He's like, the man you get to shoot the... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. it, like, that movie, it, it's like an expert level class in how to make a really simple movie that you know is totally manipulating you every step of the way, and then you still make it work. Like, it makes it has all the elements of... Oh, there's a puppy. The puppy died. You're ticked off. John Wick is ticked off. You like John Wick now, don't you? Now let John Wick go and kill these guys. You want them dead, right? Just like John Wick does. And everything about that <laughs> is like is like super empathetic the entire time. You're like, yeah, yeah. You well, and also kill those guys. Not only that, like dead cancer wife too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's, it's so is manipulative, so emotionally manipulative. And I totally bought into every second of it. Yeah. Um. And so you you want John Wick to go and kick some butt, and he does yep. a lot. And like, there's so many. There's two really great action scenes in that movie. We've got the fight in his house, and then the fight in the club. And both of those scenes are incredible. Yeah. Like so good. They it's got like a they got such good action in terms of cinematography, framing things, uh, no crappy cuts. No quick editing, no bad camera angles. It's so good in that sense. And then the movie kind of starts to fall apart toward the end a little bit. Um, the last third of it starts to run out of steam. They kind of don't know what to do toward the end in terms of figuring out how to kill the bad guy, considering how there's really no physical equal to John Wick. And that kind of presents a problem in the end in terms of presenting a worthy adversary to kind of top everything off. Then there's also the comic booky stuff, but we can talk about that more later. Yeah, uh, Ryan, what is your relationship with John Wick One? Okay, so I when it came out officially 2015, 14. 2014. Uh, so I remember being on IMDb one day and just seeing a poster for it and being like, "That movie's gonna be amazing." 
Hadn't even, there wasn't even a trailer for that part. I just saw his Keanu Reeves. There was a gun to his lips and smoke rising, and I thought, okay, I'm down. Because he hadn't really been in an action movie in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I saw it in theaters, and I loved every second of it. Um, all the same reasons Mike's talking about. Um, you know, but the action's amazing, and it's well shot and everything. But like you're saying, you really do care about this guy, and the mm-hmm. premise seems stupid. Like, they killed his dog, now he wants revenge. But they killed his dog, and yeah, now he I wants know. revenge. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, the, the movie, the, I feel like the setup, the beginning of the movie, like him just going through life just in pain, not, no real dialogue in the mm-hmm. beginning with him. You just feel for this guy. And then even the moment where he gets the dog, I choked up a little bit. So I was mm-hmm. like... This is sad, but yeah. now, you know, if it was just about him and the dog, that would have been a movie in and of itself. Probably not a very fun one, but it... A Wix purpose. A Wix purpose. <laughs> Hopefully know. without the dog abuse. Exactly. <laughs> but you buy it, but then, you know, the main event happens, and then he's back into this world, and you kind of feel bad for the guy because he did so much to get out oh, of the man. world, but now they're, you know, dragging him back in, and... It's just a sweet revenge story. Mm-hmm. And that dog is so cute. That dog Man, is adorable. They found it's the unfair. Yeah. It's unfair how cute that dog is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that movie's amazing. Like, it's... Oh, my gosh. It's so good. It's impossible for me to talk about it without almost overselling the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... So, I think it's a combination of all those elements, right? Like... Keanu hadn't been in an action movie in a while. And I want to talk about Keanu specifically in a second. Because um, I'm so glad that people are on board with Keanu again. Um, Keanu hadn't been in an action movie in a minute. Uh, all the emotional stuff really works. Um, which is crazy because Keanu is not an actor known for emoting. Um, but all of that really works the action is so freaking like it's it's next level it's some of the best action in the last 15 20 years um it's probably the best action movie since the matrix like the best pure action movie but dude the raid (laughs) (laughs) um gosh i man i don't like the raid (laughs) movie's so boring but dude the raid (laughs) 2 There's that sweet, super gory fight scene in the kitchen in the raid too. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen all of it. I've just seen that that super gory fight scene, and I was like, "That's sweet." You could probably stop with that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. It seemed like that was kind of the cornerstone of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the scene in his house really sold me on it. I actually remember I kept hearing John Wick. Uh, John Wick's really good. John Wick's really good. And it was one of those ones that just pa- passed me by in theaters. Um, it kind of hit right at the beginning of the show starting. And so I was trying to figure out what the show was. So I was watching a bunch of movies for the show. And we were doing older movies at the time. I wasn't watching a bunch of stuff at the theater. And so... Um, and also we had just started saving... I was working two jobs. We had just started saving for our wedding. There wasn't a ton of disposable income. And so it just kind of passed me by in theaters. And the more I heard about it, the more it was like, John Wick, John Wick, John Wick. And I was like, really? Wow. Like... I'd kind of heard about the movie, but it got some major word of mouth buzz. And what what started me off on I have to seek this movie out is someone posted the club scene on Reddit. Yes. And I watched it. I think I sent it to you. Yes. And I watched it and I was like, holy jeez. Like, yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. And I, I ended up 
bootlegging the movie. <laughs> I ended up downloading it uh, by not so legal means to watch it because it was like right before it came out on DVD, and I was like chomping at the bit to see it based uh-huh. on that one scene alone. And I watched it, and the the scene in the house happens first, and that's just as good as the scene in the club. Yes, and it does have that problem of like. The Ian McShane character? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No, not no. Ian McShane. The uh, mafia. The, the, yeah, the mafia guy. guy. There's no possible way he could take on John Wick. Yeah. So <laughs> it just like, it plays like the lamest last boss fight. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to argue that the, the emotional stuff helps that work because he gets a new pupper at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's so, oh, it's so sweet. Like it's, yep. it, it really like connects back really nicely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the ending, like the actual end of the movie works. I agree with that. Especially because the dog is like a pit bull or yeah. whatever, right? Just yeah. like John Wick. So yeah. Isn't the yeah. dog supposed to be destroyed? Isn't that what he knows yes. before he released yeah. it? Which oh, yeah. kind of, I think ties well into the story yes. of it. Yeah. Um, and then, so all that, and then there's also, the stuff I love about that movie, outside of the action, is the weird mythos. Like, there's such a weird, it, it like, it doesn't make sense, really, but there's this, like, weird assassin underworld that is just randomly injected into the movie. Yes. Uh, and it's, they have this whole, like, society of assassins that operates behind the scenes of normal society. It's like this uh, assassin Illuminati thing, and they have this, like, special hotel with all this, like, secret, like, codes and, you know, rules that you have to follow, and if you break the rules, you get killed by the other hitmen, and he's got, like, a, this huge history with all the people in the hotel, Mm -hmm. and I, I love that stuff because... That's not happening in any other movie. Like, it's super original. Yes. And two, it makes the world feel super lived in. Like, I don't need to know. I want to know all the backstory he has with these characters because I now like this character. But it's really fun watching him interact with these people and trying to figure out, like, okay, what events have happened in the past Mm -hmm. that have made everyone, like, so fearful of this guy. And then you see the action scenes and you kind of get it. But then you also kind of wonder where the emotional stuff is because there's that bartender girl that he's clearly had a past with Mm -hmm. and she's like almost sad that he's back in the world you know she was really happy for him but it seems like they may have been romantically involved before and i love like i love all that stuff i think it's a really cool world that got built there um but i understand it doesn't work for a lot of people I think my problem with it was that like you said before it was like injected into the film Mm -hmm. like you basically have no signs of it for the first third of the movie Mm -hmm. and it's like boom mythology and like it it just it totally like took me out of it Mm -hmm. and I knew that the movie was already kind of pulpy and and weird already because you had like the part where John Wick goes and like defends himself in his house and the police officers are there and like hey John or whatever like anything going on here it's like nope you know that kind of stuff it's like already a little bit like dark humor going on Mm -hmm. but then that whole like layer there it's interesting it's good but it just kind of like comes out of nowhere and like punches you it feels like yeah i like it because i feel like it keeps you on your toes that's i can see that like right when you think that this is going to play out like traditionally just a, a revenge flick 
it kind of does add another twist to it. Yeah. We, well, I think it makes him coming back into that world, you feel for him a bit more because he, it took him so much to get out of it. And now he's back in it. And that's the question that keeps coming up. Are you back? Are you back? Are you back? And he doesn't want to answer it because he doesn't want back into this world. He, he got out. It cost him everything to get out. But for the sake of revenge, he's like, yeah, they're pulling me back in. And... <laughs> well, and then he eventually gets to that point where he's got that super cool monologue when they, the they capture him. The best I've ever seen from Yeah, him. and he's like, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Like, he officially commits to being back. And uh, part of that, obviously, is they, I think they had a larger function for this weird mythology mm -hmm. um, in mind. I think they wanted to do more than one movie from the get-go. Yeah. But I also think that there's enough mythology to where they knew that it was a gamble uh, to do like an original action movie with this comic book premise, yeah. super comic book mythos injected in it, starring a guy who's not super well regarded as an actor who's mm -hmm. almost in his fifties. He is in his fifties now. Mm -hmm. um, like it's a, it's a lot of risks. Yeah. And so I think they did a really good job of making the film stand on its own, but also that injection of that weird mythology makes you want more. Yes, I agree with that. I think that like it's the main thing that goes and justifies there being sequels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is like, okay, now that you've told me about this, tell me more. Mm -hmm. so, exactly. Yeah, like I'm. I'm actually more okay with it as time has gone on. Now that, like, I understand, okay, that's what the movie was instead of, like, what my expectations of it were. I think I'm cooler with it than I was when I first saw it, where I just kind of felt like it was out of nowhere. Right. Uh, so, we love John Wick. We love Keanu Reeves. Uh, John Wick Chapter 2 is coming out this weekend. What is? What are you guys expecting? Are you guys excited? Are you guys nervous, maybe, about John Wick Chapter 2? Uh, I'm super excited. Uh, I think it'll be uh, uh, more of the same, but in a good way. Like, hopefully they'll take it deeper and, and not just do a carbon copy of the first one. Um, I, I'm i thinking we'll get more lore and more, like, insight into this world they've set up. Um, the premise is a little bit on the confusing side. <laughs> where, you know, this guy's like, do a job for me. No, and then I will kill you. You know who you're threatening? Like... <laughs> It, I don't know. The, the threat's got to be bigger than John this time, I think. And I, based off the trailer, it seems like that's what's going to be. Uh, it seems like he's going to go up against an organization that's bigger than him and maybe have guys that are on his level, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, which I think is what it needs in order to be a, a viable threat to him and an interesting story for us, the viewers. But I'm, I'm all in. I've been excited since the trailer, when did it debut last year? Like towards the end of the year? Or yeah. Or something like that? Probably around September. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for it. I think it's going to be sweet. Mike. Looking forward to it a lot. I think it's going to be better than the first one. Really? Yes. Just from the standpoint that I'm really hoping they took to heart the things that people loved about the first one and they're going to reduce the things that people didn't like about the first one. I have a feeling that just by virtue of this one, if it has a good third act, it will be better than the first one. Mm. Um, I think how movies end is really important. Yeah. And I, while I agree with you that like the actual last two minutes of John Wick are good and solid and sum up things very well, the preceding like 25 minutes... That final action sequence. Yeah, basically. It just lets out a lot of steam and is just kind of there. 
Um, so I think if they can go and escalate things properly and not blow their load on like the mid second action sequence or the midway point of the yeah. film, um, it'll be a lot better from that standpoint. Um, little hesitant about the leaning into the more lore stuff, but there's another part of me that realizes, you know what, if they're really going to make a sequel to this, they have to. Yeah. Like that's the only real direction they can go in is talk more about these assassins and all of that. Um, you can't, you can't just have them go up against another mob group or something like that. There has to be something equal to his threat level, which I agree with you, um, Ryan, on. Um, and, I mean, I hope they don't kill another puppy. I really hope. I don't think they will. Okay, no. all right. Because that's my, like, the toughest part about rewatching John Wick. Um, but anyway, besides that, I think um, it's going to be better than the first one. Um, I am... The last time I was this excited for a movie, it was called The Dark Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I haven't been this excited for a movie since The Dark Knight. I'm ridiculously excited about this movie. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like, man, I am so on this movie's hype train. It's insane. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking about it like it's what I'm looking forward to the most this week. I'm seeing it Thursday night. I have to review it for the website. Um, I just want to spend so much time with John Wick. Like, he's just become... The more I think about the first movie, and I'm probably going to revisit it this week, um, the more I just love that character and I love that world. He's got a comic book coming out in March. I want to read all of it. Uh, I heard they've optioned a TV show prequel. Uh, I like. I hope that's great. With, with Keanu Reeves, I or? don't think so, but God, that would be the best. If there, if there was just like weekly doses of John Wick in my life, I don't know what I would like do. An HBO, yeah, like, prequel miniseries, yeah, yeah. Man, I think it's optioned at Stars or Showtime, but yeah, oh, it's, okay. it is one of those All premium right. cable okay. network. That's good. Yeah. As long as it's not like network TV, where yeah. they have to like cut away every time he goes and shoots somebody yeah. away. Mm-hmm. Um, and my understanding is that at the very least, the directors are going to be heavily involved, which I think goes a long way. Mm. Um, this movie, it looks like the mythos is bigger, which I love. I'm super into the mythos. It looks like the action's bigger. I think part of the reason the third act doesn't work so well is because I think they may have, one, painted themselves into a corner as far as what we've already talked about of like, oh, this guy isn't really a threat to John Wick. And two... It was made for like seven dollars. Like there wasn't yeah. there wasn't any money to make that movie, mm-hmm. but the it, it found a huge audience, and so they have a bigger budget now. They can go bigger. They were able to film on location in Rome. That's not cheap. Nope. Um, you know, it looks like there's a more expanded car chase in this one, and just like a lot more vehicular stuff in this one, which I'm kind of. I like car chases, but I like John Wick when he's just like murdering fools with his hands, yeah. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, I think it just looks like a proper escalation of, right. of what came before. Yeah. And I think that's what makes action franchises work the best, yes. is proper escalation. I think we've seen that in the Fast and Furious movies. Um, obviously, we've also seen the back end of that where they escalate. Like They, they can only go so far before it enters into the realm of the insane, yeah. and they have to bring it back down. Mm-hmm, which um, they haven't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah uh, there's a lot of goodwill that they're working with there. Yeah. Um, with John Wick, like I don't think John Wick's ever going to get Fast and Furious crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also you could probably get a trilogy out of it. I think they understand that they can get a trilogy of movies out of it. 
and the comic book and the TV show. And I think that I... The directors understand building a world enough to not let it get out of hand, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And know that the comic can actually be a little bit bigger and weirder. The movies can get to a certain point without collapsing on themselves. And then maybe the TV show needs to be a little smaller, especially if it's a prequel. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that, you know... I mean, it's not my job to do those things, and I understand that. These guys are pretty good at doing that professionally, so they should be able to have a good grasp of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as this movie goes, I'm so freaking excited. I'm, I can't wait, man. Mm-hmm. I I'm, Like, my butt's in a seat Thursday night, and probably once more this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. Lego Batman is coming out the same weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really hope John Wick and Lego Batman obliterate Fifty Shades Darker. That would be the funniest thing ever. Lego Batman's got this weekend in a bag because it's a family movie. Like right, kids, yeah. like people with kids just take their kids to see family movies. Mm-hmm. Like those always win. Um, but if John Wick could beat out Fifty Shades of Darker, that would be the best. I think it's a better romantic movie. It's, it's <laughs> yes. a, yeah. Did you see the uh, TV spot that said this Valentine's Day everyone's falling for John yeah, Wick? And it was just like, like cut to all these bodies <laughs> falling down around him? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, like, the a- oh my gosh, the action looks so crazy good. Mm-hmm. And if you guys have seen the videos of him training, training, training. huh, what a <laughs> boss. Like, doing live ammo three weapon training for this movie, he didn't have to do that, man, think, but he did. I think he just did it for fun. It seems like it. There's another one that shows him working on all the martial arts. I think he did as much of the stunts as the insurance would allow him to do, it seems like. Yeah. Um, which is sweet. Yeah. Uh, so... I kind of want to end on specifically talking to, to Mike as as a, an action filmmaker or right. amateur action filmmaker. What does John Wick mean for that genre of movie? Like, what, is that as big of a game changer, or is it just this weird little blip that hardcore action people, um, you know, regard as a classic? Or do you think it's something we'll be looking back on in the next twenty years, like a Die Hard or a Matrix? I don't know if it'll go if it's as much of a diehard or a matrix. I think it's like just a notch below that. But what I do think it's done is that it's reasserted the importance of having good cinematography, good framing, good sense of geography in an action scene, and also um, re- stripping down a movie to its bare essentials. Where I think we've dealt with an era in the last probably fifteen or so years where. We've gotten increasingly high concept or stylized with action movies mm-hmm. um, and, and very convoluted with their stories. And what John Wick represents to me is like a return to simplicity. It's a return to simplicity in the plot, in the characters, in the relationships, um, very simple themes, uh, but effectively done on all level, on all of those levels. Um, action that, you know, honestly, the action scenes in those movies... They're not that elaborate. They aren't. But they're well done because they're well staged. You have a good sense of where people are in relation to each other. And they have human limits, human mm-hmm. limitations. I think that really goes a long way in terms of rebutting a lot of the stuff that happened, especially in the mid-2000s. And even now, where we've had a lot of CG replace practical effects and stunt work 
and action that feels like it actually take place in the real world. And so I think that John Wick maybe isn't uh, as, as much of a classic as some of these other ones, but I think it's the beginning of this reassertion of, okay, action movies can be about like reality in terms of how action is portrayed. Obviously, you have the Continental and all this Assassin's Society stuff, but in terms of just portraying and directing the action, it's grounded. And um, I don't know. I hope that that kind of style continues to influence other movies. I don't. I think the people who are going to take the John Wick lessons are too young to make movies now. That might be true. I yeah. think I'm. I'm wondering if maybe the it's the next generation's mm. Die Hard or The Matrix. Or, right. You know, I think it'll probably depend on how this one goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think there might be people waiting in the wings who are super influenced by John Wick that are going to come up and really sell that style. Yeah. Because um, I think the Snyder style, the Zack Snyder style yeah. with uh, 300, yeah. I think that was a big deal. Oh, too. yeah. Yeah, like the, the ramping, ramping yeah. ra- of slow motion, fast motion, or normal motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was big for a while. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I definitely know, person, uh, speaking personally, that... Uh, the last movie short film that we or short film that we made was um, influenced in its action scenes by John Wick. Like my brother and I really watched John Wick. And we're like, wow, we could do a lot better. Like with this next one that we did with our last movie. So um, it influenced us, and I think that you're very well right. It could influence other people again too. Yeah, um, Ryan, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, <laughs> you guys kind of covered the gambit there, but. Uh... I think, uh, yeah, John Wick, I think it's going to be really good. I think it's so going to be sweet. I'm so I'm so freaking excited about that yeah. movie, you guys. It's, like, I, I don't even know how to properly talk about it. My expectations are so out of whack for this movie. Uh, they're, like, through the roof. Like, I'm probably not going to like it as much as I think I'm going to. Like, that's that's how high my expectations for it that's are. That's the sweet in between. It's the not knowing and then you know. Yeah, I hope it is. Man, I hope it is. Uh like, it's, it's going to be kind of a repeat of La La Land where I was so jacked on La La Land that before the movie I was like, what if this sucks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Like what, if this, what if I hate this? Like in fanboys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going to have that Thursday night when I sit down to John Wick. Like, I'm just going to be like, what if I hate this? <laughs> but, yeah. Um, do you guys have anything you want to plug? No. No. <laughs> your charger. I want to plug my, my charger. Yeah. You can, again, you can still find me at your local Walmart. All of them? All still of them. all of them. Wow. Yeah, just look. You'll never know. It's like being John Malkovich, but at a Walmart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at MJSmith891. Uh, you can find my writing at wordofthenerd.com. We, I am, I think I'm the John Wick guy now, maybe. Um, I've... I'm reviewing it for the site, and this will be my third John Wick piece in, like, four months of working there. Um, And, yeah, so my review will be up Friday morning, probably, hopefully. Sometime Friday. It'll be up this weekend, because I'm seeing it Thursday night. I'm writing the the review immediately after. So uh, be on the lookout for that this week. Next week, we're going to be back to talk about what what we thought about John Wick Chapter 2. More in-depth, obviously. Uh, stay tuned for some other stuff that's uh, a brewing. Um, if you hop over to the YouTube channel, there's a big announcement over there. 
Um, I know we've been saying that, but there was a problem with the original version of the big announcement that we recorded. So we're going to jump off mic and record it again, but with a different topic attached to it. But there's a big announcement over there. Um, it's going to mean some stuff for the podcast, but the podcast is largely going to stay the same. There's a lot of shakeups happening on the YouTube end of stuff. So go look at that. Search the before and after show. Um, it'll still be the before and after show right now. Um, and that's a little hint as to uh, what's happening over there. But yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, please uh, like, share, comment, um, tell people about the show. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. Those really help. Those really help. Um, you know, uh, one star if you hate us, five stars if you love us. Uh, I don't really care about the in-betweens. <laughs> um, <laughs> subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on SoundCloud. Stitcher Radio. Beyond Pod if you're an Android user. It's an app that you can download from the Play Store that I use for all my podcasts. Uh, you can find uh, all the stuff we do at thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's that R-E-E-L perspective.blogspot.com um i have another project in the works that hopefully i can talk about on the after show and until next time uh go watch a keanu reeves movie i'm thinking he's back Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>